A knife fight is a messy affair. Swords and axes have a way of ending things quickly, but when the small blades dance, there's no telling how long it may last. I could see my opponent had done this before. His arms and face bore notches and nicks like an old tabletop. His eyes were but slits as he circled me, closing in, blade gripped backward in a nerveless fist. The gathered mob erupted like baying hounds, excited by the violence to come. Eyes flashed and feet stamped the earth, while dirty hands exchanged dirty coins, making wagers of fate. I knew damn well they bet on the bigger man. They always did. And as always, when betting against me, they were dead wrong. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Rogues in the House podcast, your newest and most exciting stop for all things swords and sorcery and heroic fantasy. My name is Alex, I'll be your host, I will be your war chief, I will be your tribal elder for tonight, and with me I have two really good friends and two of the roguiest rogues this side of the Black River. First, on my virtual left, we have Logan. How you doing? Good, how are you? Good, doing well. You ready for tonight? Born ready. All right, awesome. And to my virtual right, we have Matt. How are you doing? I'm great. I was going to say that I was born ready also, but Logan has already stolen my thunder. So. <laughs> two, the, two people can be born ready at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure, that's right. That's how omens are made. Conan wasn't the only one born on the battlefield, surely. That's true. Oh, speaking of which, do you know, I have a quick story on this. So on Black Friday, I was thumbing around on Amazon, and I stopped on um, the 2011 Conan. And the reason I say that is because like, right in the first five minutes, they're like, he was born in the battlefield. And hovering over the to buy or not to buy button, and something accidentally just triggered in my finger. And I clicked it, and now I own it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was All a good right. it was a good like six dollar purchase so i didn't feel too yeah. bad about it but you know uh it was so i'm like re-watching it and i'm kind of like if you get past the uh i think the intro is probably the the hardest part for me to to digest uh... <laughs> yeah there, there's definitely some <laughs> some weird <laughs> grunting and yeah, yeah yeah i don't know about the uh the birthing scene on the battlefield as well I think, too, like, we will definitely talk about that movie. There are, uh, I've got some column A's and some column B's. But like, Black Friday has to be the most uh, sword and sorcery of all uh, <laughs> yearly events. Huh? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I didn't know we were rating those, but that's awesome. <laughs> we'll keep a tally of some. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, w I want to know the second most sword and sorcery holiday. Uh, but we'll, we'll do that as that comes, I guess. <laughs> I'm glad... This actually kind of ties in, though. Um, this is this is my train of thought here. Born on the Battlefield was also a prequel comic by Dark Horse. Dark Horse mm -hmm. got the rights to Conan from Marvel. And the day after we recorded our first episode, Stan Lee passed away. He did. Oh, uh, yeah. That's right. You know, it's funny. Um, I uh, I mean, obviously, I knew that was coming. It's weird. I I talk with my wife sometimes, and I've there's been a lot of situations where I've, I've not predicted deaths, but I've mentioned a particular somebody out of nowhere for no reason mentioning them. Uh, and the next day, you know, there's a news story. It's happened with a, I won't even tell you the people because it, it actually kind of freaks me out. Uh, but that, that didn't happen with Stan Lee. Um, I'm sorry I, to tell you it's your fault. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I did not do that. Um, but there, there were, I, I kept kind of thinking about him, you know, like the day was going to come sooner or later. Um, obviously he was an older cat, but, um, 
yeah, it sucks. But it's it, it seems to be following suit of a rash of deaths of very cool people. Totally. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, obviously, like you said, he was not uh, he was not young. Um, Ninety five, right? And, right. So, I mean, a, a life very well lived. Uh, and everyone, not just us, but everyone salutes him. And I mean, the influence that he is, he's had is, is uh, far and wide at this point. Um, and I think, you know, uh, as a kid, I'm just going to harken back. Uh, I think it was my first um, Spider-Man. Um, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. It was like some sort of Spider-Man Daredevil crossover that I happened to have. Uh, and that was a really yeah. big deal for me. Um, and then the X-Men. Right. I mean, that was kind of the other the other big one for me there. And, and of course, the uh, the most sword and sorcery of all superheroes is being Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got the right stuff. Probably. Yeah, he's got the right yeah. stuff for it. you can pick him up and drop him into a different setting. And I think he works. So who, who is who would you go on record? Well, who's your favorite? Now, nah, I might be putting you guys on the spot because Stan Lee, obviously, you know, uh, highly uh, involved as far as the creation of Marvel and a lot of characters. But if do you have a favorite Stan Lee created character? Maybe you do or do not know which ones he created. So I don't want to put you on the spot. But I, I don't know off the top of my head, but my favorite Marvel, Marvel superhero is Thor. Um, I, I just really enjoy like it's almost yeah. like a he-man type thing where it's like there's laser guns but there's guys with swords and stuff like that that's pretty cool um i don't know if stan lee created that character but that's that's my go-to i i actually think he i think he did i think he is responsible for that uh, all right well is the main guy who's associated as this thor writer but i think it was stan lee's idea to put him in there uh you know i hear nerds screaming at me right now from right the, yeah got it wrong yeah you really you're putting yourself out there a little bit by by uh, doing that right I, there I'm, I'm trying to cheat and looking it up i mean the easy one is obviously oh, yeah, spider-man right here wikipedia uh <laughs> created by editor and plotter stan lee <laughs> larry lieber penciler jack kirby uh, you jack. nailed it nailed it and uh, I guess I would – my favorite Lee character is either the Hulk or Spider-Man. Uh, I like them both for very different reasons. The Hulk's obviously more of the um, tragic Frankenstein-like Frankenstein yeah. monster figure. Um, but Spider-Man, I think, is the most pure of superheroes in that he does what he does because he knows it's right. He's learned it's the right thing to do, but it totally ruins his life, and he does it anyways. And the guy's a kid, so. Yeah. I'm going to take it the other direction, and I hope that I got this right because I think it, he, he created him, but Dr. Doom. Uh, Vic, yeah. Victor Von oh. Doom, thank you. Uh, and I'm, you know, I realize you said superhero, but uh, in yeah. terms of uh, true villains, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, he's obviously got to be right up there. Uh, and the look, man, the look. Yeah. <laughs> like, With uh, the iron mask. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. awesome. I'm with you 100%. Dr. Doom, if you ask my favorite villain, I would say Dr. Doom, and it's a freaking tragedy, uh, you know, the way he's been depicted on screen. I agree. Oh, I agree. Like, I agree. I'm uh. salivating, waiting for them to to rectify that uh, in a newer series of films. Yeah, Anywho. it'll happen. You know, that makes me remember um, the very first Spider-Man movie that they did of, of the recent years where um, – who 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 played uh who was who they do they did the uh, the Goblin. Yeah, yes yes but not Spider Man um 
Green Goblin. Uh, ah. And the, like the Tin Man mask that he was wearing. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. You get a guy who looks exactly like the Green Goblin. Yes. His face. And you put a mask and on. Sure. Mask on. Complete, completely insane. <laughs> yeah. Completely insane. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. we digress. So um, definitely yeah. uh, a big tribute um, and a big thank you to Stan Lee, I think. Yeah. Yep. Why don't we also talk about a little bit about what you've been doing lately in terms of uh, things you've been seeing, games you've been playing. Uh, we're going to go deeper into games in, in just a little bit, but really, like, um, what have you been doing and enjoying uh, that falls in the genre as of, as of recently? I've had a, I had a couple things on my list that I wanted to jump into. Uh, I was thinking perhaps God of War 4. I was thinking perhaps John Hawking's uh, the Conan and the Emerald Lotus, uh, perhaps at a later time. But the this was actually a total surprise to me. Netflix just debuted The Last Kingdom, um, which I had watched. It was on the BBC, uh, which I managed to watch. Um, in the third season, I, I, I don't even think I knew it was coming. And I saw it on uh, Netflix pop up. So I was like, yes. Um, it's, a, it's a show that's focused on 9th century England. And actually, I should probably say it is, it is based on a series of books called, it's Bernard Cornwell's The Saxon Stories. And you know I love I, him as an author, right? I did not know this. Yeah, so um, I don't mean to derail you, but The Archer's Tale, right? That's a, a trilogy that does. It's, oh, the, yeah. it's the Grail Crab okay. quest. Uh, fantastic, fantastic trilogy. But continue. Sorry. Well, this may this series may be of interest to you then. Um, and usually when I nerd out over a series and there's associated books, I have already read them uh, in anticipation of such a show coming. But not this time. Uh, I picked up the show... Just to see, obviously, I was I was really into Vikings, uh, history's Vikings, but um, uh, History Channel Vikings, not the Vikings from history. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this series is is it's awesome. It's got excellent fight scenes, great atmosphere, um, solid soundtrack. The pacing is rock solid, which is always something uh, very important to me if I'm watching a movie or television series. I, I you know I talked to non film people and i'm like yeah how about that pacing and they're like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's something that's important to me uh distinct characters you know good old blood and thunder um just a little more specific it's it's ninth century uh britain it's when england or sorry um england ninth century england uh divided into seven separate kingdoms and the danes have kind of conquered all but one, which is the last kingdom, which is Wessex. Uh, in any case, it's, I highly recommend it. It's one of those shows where if you're not checking it out and you're into, you know, sword genre, I wouldn't call it sword and sorcery, though there are a few elements that kind of hint at sorcery. You're missing out if you're not checking it out. So that's my, that's my, my, my thing right now is the last kingdom on Netflix. And you can watch all of them, actually, all three seasons. I think I think we can call the genre sword and history. Yeah, sword and history. Yeah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> Coined here today. Done. <laughs> uh, Logan, you tried to get out of it. You're up now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, if you guys were following our Facebook page, which I highly suggest you do, um, I'm not begging you by any means, but please, please follow us on Facebook. <laughs> um, I read or I wrote a review for also a Netflix series. Um, very different from the last kingdom. 
but She-Ra and the Princess of Power. Uh, we talked about He-Man last episode, just very briefly. And then I sat down and I saw this show. I had no idea it was coming. And so I watched it. Um, I loved it, but I also knew going into it that it was not going to be anything like what we saw in cartoons in the 80s. And it's not. It's definitely meant for younger people. And I would, I would even venture to say, well, boys can ha- find plenty of things to enjoy in it. It's probably leaned towards getting uh, girls to watch. Um, there's still good sword fights. Um, there's some action. There's adventure. The characters are actually really well realized. The art style is a little different. Um, I'm not necessarily turned off by anime art style as long as it's used well. Just like Castlevania, uh, it still stayed kind of grounded in what I would call like Western animated action, as opposed to like outlandish, um, outlandish fight scenes like you would see in a typical anime. But it was really good. It was a lot of fun. Um, if you're one of those people that's going to be really disappointed that it's not exactly what you remember, I would just give it a hard pass. But if you're open to it or you have kids um, that you might want to try and get into this kind of genre, I think it's a good starting place. I'm yeah, going to leave it at that. Yeah, I, I um, watched the first episode with my daughter, um, and we haven't gotten any further than that, um, but she seemed really into it. Uh, unfortunately, right now, um, she's got a, a serious case of uh, Pokemonitis, so ah. we're, we're heavily, heavily into that, uh, and we'll have to try to clear some time to specifically get through the Shira stuff. But um, it's done sure. by the same folks that did Voltron, too, I think, right? Yes, that yeah, is correct. Yeah, and they did a really good job with that series, so I'm looking forward to it. Cool. What about you, Alex? Well, um, so let's see. What have I been doing? So I got something that I have an eye on. It's not coming out yet. Uh, I think it's coming out in December, um, and it's going to be pretty limited in terms of, um, I think, uh, appeal, but I think it's really cool, and I wanted to just bring it up. So uh, there is a game that I read about that um, upcoming, as I said, uh, it's called Blade and Sorcery. It's a VR game. So have you guys ever had any opportunities to use like Oculus Rift or anything like that? <laughs> it does not interest me in the least a bit. And like, I, I just, it's a lot of investment. I don't play video games enough for me to, to make that leap, I guess. And, um, and I, I totally... did watch the videos you linked us and it looks cool. It looks basic. Um, but it looks like it could be really cool. If, so if that's something you're into. Yeah. So so I I I don't have the Oculus Rift. Um, I have a friend who has it. So I've had the opportunity to use it uh, a few times. And I'm not. It's, it's definitely a high price point. So I'm not one who's going to dive into that. Uh, and I don't play enough video games to ever make that purchase. But mm. that said, the experience is ridiculous and i was the type of person that said it is it's nothing i don't want to wear this thing it's not going to be that good and then i got motion sickness doing it and (laughs) i realized and i realized just how powerful this thing really can be and if you can start to develop real visceral combat so just to give everyone an idea of this game um i can't quite tell if it's an arena based game or if it actually has some sort of a uh, quest plot line to it um, but it's essentially um, gladiatorial combat. You have your shield, you have your sword. And the big sell on it is that the combat is very visceral. It's very, uh, it's very weighted. It feels very re- real. And having played some sort of um, zombie game uh, where they come up to you, 
And as I said, I've got motion sickness from it and I had the jump scares from it. Uh, I'm really interested to see what they can do in terms of getting some really cool like sword fighting combat going. So that was yeah. one thing that I was I was definitely checking out. The other one, uh, Logan, this was one that I think you, you looked at as well, uh, Stone King on Amazon. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. So totally. free comic uh, for anyone with Amazon Prime called Stone King came out er- earlier uh, in November. And it's it's nice. It's going to be a four-part series. Uh, it's The first one focuses on the main character uh, who is a thief and essentially uh, pulls off uh, what I'll call a caper. Uh, you'll, you'll see it pretty early on in the story. And then some fallout around there. Um, I thought the art was, was good. Um, the story right now, is it's light. Like I said, it's a four-part arc. So I think that they sort of set things up nicely. What would you think, Logan? Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I... I thought it was, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think it was inspired by the game Shadow of the Colossus. So Ooh, if you're I out there and that. have played that, you probably know what to expect. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I do want to drop the names of the the authors. It is uh, Kel McDonald and Tyler Crook. Kel McDonald wrote or worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer the high school years, and Tyler Crook uh, was a witch finder. So if you are comic fans those names might be familiar um but it is free it's on amazon's comiXology platform and i actually enjoyed read i read it on my phone while i was at lunch uh and it worked really well it scrolls pain by pain i can see that being um, an appealing method for someone like me who doesn't read comics all the time to get into comics so there's that too yeah and you know just as a side um that comiXology platform i think is pretty cool like i like how you, you double tap in and it sort of zooms what you need um yeah, if you're totally. re- like if you're reading on your phone or something and then you tap it again it zooms back out lets you see all the art um so it's kind of it's amazing that they have technology that does that sort of thing it's kind of neat uh and then lastly the, i threw this in sort of as a a, a joke to your last kingdom uh, i've been watching norsemen have you guys watched this on netflix no uh, i've heard heard of it it's pretty funny um it's you know viking age it's sort of a dark comedy. Um, a lot of what they, um, you know, it has a little bit of combat. Uh, they make fun of uh, the pillaging aspect and that sort of thing. Uh, it, ha- it definitely, it, it has me snickering a lot, um, and it's really good. I've almost wrapped up. There's two seasons. I think there's like six or eight episodes for each season. Um, uh, it's good. It's funny. You guys should check it out. No, I just, in fact, when you were talking about the Oculus Rift, I was like, see, I will get motion sickness if I'm in a car and look at my phone for 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. That happens to me, too. If if that becomes the next big thing in video games, I am either going to become a puke machine or I'm just going to totally miss out. Yeah. uh, I (laughs) kind of agree with you. I mean, it was the experience was a little bit more than I was ready for. Um, And maybe it's the sort of thing where you become a little more steely as you go. Uh, But I definitely did the quick turn and <laughs> felt my lunch coming up pretty quickly. Oh, so was, yeah, yeah. Couldn't do it. No, no, it was it's interesting, but it's worth trying just to to see it and then you kind of get that it's a very interesting experience. So, yeah. I think uh our big topic that we wanted to cover today is sword and sorcery in the tabletop setting. So, we want to break this into tabletop games um and also role-playing games. So, I think that um one of the first things we might want to try to do here is talk about some of the 
general aesthetics uh, and archetypes that we see in this before we get into specific game examples. What do you guys think? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yep. Cool. Um, Logan, you want to just kind of kick us off with what you uh, what you have on and thoughts in terms of in that, that larger idea? Sure. So, gosh, that's such a large idea. Um, <laughs> as far as, like, if I was to sit down at a table uh, that was sold to me as a sword and sorcery game, I guess I would expect something more along the lines of an episodic adventure, um, not necessarily following a campaign arc, um, something that has lots of action adventure, um, some element of horror, um, most players being a melee class. Uh, I've played games with only like one person being a caster, and it worked out okay. Um, I know you guys have other opinions on the casters, uh, <laughs> which we'll probably get into. Um, but... Uh, that's that's such a broad topic, yeah. uh, Matt. Matt, help me out here. What do you got? Uh, well, I mean, as far as uh, yeah, sitting down to the table, what I would want in a sword and sorcery game. Um, I echoed a, a lot of your thoughts, and and it's funny, you know, uh, having admined the Conan Gaming Group for a long time, I feel like we're all of us sword and sorcery fans end up on these little islands, you know, and um, you know when you get a group together, it's you will get one person at the table who's totally endeared with that aesthetic. And then, you know, then we just go online and talk about it because our games end up being high fantasy. We have met at the bar in the tavern and we are on our quest. <laughs> and not even that, that's way more serious. Your example right now was way more serious than any game actually ends up being. <laughs> we, well, I mean, I've there's... been at tables where the story, like the DM or whatever has crafted this, the Game of Thronesy in tail, and the yeah. second later, we've got Goku fighting goblins, and everyone's Monty Pythoning it up. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's a, that's a, that's a separate. That's yeah, a separate yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been there as well. Um, I, I think there's so much comes down to the game master and them being able to sell it. Like, I, I know the the goofery kind of comes into rpgs fairly easily and i think high fantasy settings lend itself more so to that uh which is a different a different uh, topic too but i think if a gm has a really strong voice uh i don't mean just like loud i mean like a storytelling voice um and you can bring them into that world and you can present it in such a way you can win over just about anybody the problem is is getting a bunch of like-minded players wanting to sign up for something like that Totally. Uh, so with with sword and sorcery, like yeah, I want some moral grayness. I, I don't want an epic quest for the sake of good. Obviously, agreed. I I I, I almost always want to start it in a sort of Middle Eastern desert type setting. I'm with uh, you not on that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it has to stay there. It's just for me. That's the that is the starting aesthetic. You know. Um, so, and maybe that comes from, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it early, and I'm going to bring up Conan the Destroyer, but it's like, that is, <laughs> I feel like that's one of my earliest memories, is, is that opening title screen with the Riders of Terramus, and that blood-red uh, tracking shot, or, well, it's not even a tracking shot, but they're all moving across yeah. the desert. Uh, and I mean, that for me is just so much of what the aesthetic is. Uh, and of course, it's grown beyond that. 
but I, I, I don't know. Like, if you don't get that, then it's hard. It's it's hard to to sell it to others, maybe. Right. Yeah. No, go ahead. I think a lot of sword and sorcery, to me anyway, uh, it kind of plays off our notions of like exotic. What is what is not typical? Um, a lot yeah. of like most Conan stories, almost all of them, don't take place in what we would consider like familiar Western European places. We've got right. jungles of of Kush and Punt, and we've got the Far East, and we've got Hyborian Age Afghanistan, and mm. all these other places that we don't typically see in things like Lord of the Rings or Pathfinder. Or in my experience, like Dungeons and Dragons, it's it's right. this exotic thing that, that they play into. In like the medieval, the medieval Europe uh, convention, you know, I, I I crave to break away from it, obviously, and I think and that is there in Conan, but that's that's sort of something you're finding in like Hour of the Dragon. In definitely I, right when I think of Conan or I think of sword and sorcery and the mold, it's exactly as you say. It is something more exotic to what I have seen before or even to where I exist in the world, you know? Yeah. Now, this isn't a sword and sorcery example, but in the Del Rey edition of El Borak and other desert tales, yeah. the front picture is El Borak on a sword that's like – or on a horse that's like bucking, and he's got a sword raised, and there's another guy yeah. with a sword. Like if you just change El Borak to Conan, that's what I want. Well, that's what uh... – I think it was El El Sprague de Camp did that back in the day. You know, he, he did. Yes, yes, he did. The more to, modern desert you know, tale, a less, a more lackluster uh, effect than Howard could have done. But again, that is that is another topic. <laughs> so, so in terms of aesthetic, right? So, I think we agree on a few things here, right? I mean, so low technology—that's something that we all are talking about. At, at the very least, you're not going beyond uh, a medieval. Um, period, right? Yes. I mean, oftentimes we're talking Bronze Age, Iron Age, Stone Age in some cases. So, but you're you're basically looking medieval or lower in terms of technology, and then that puts you in a certain feel, right? Uh, then we have the question of magic, and I think yeah. that that's that's one of the big defining points in in the genre and what you want in a game, and this is the hardest to convey to other players because frankly most games uh especially role-playing games don't really do sword and sorcery magic they really love that um fireball chucking wizard right you know that sort of thing what we were talking you the three of us were talking about uh when it comes to magic is there has to be a price to pay for magic and i think uh the 2d20 conan has that um, to to a degree? Uh, we were talking about how do you how do you wedge this genre into five E because they don't have that right. They there's yeah. magic is as common as anything in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which then creates the question of is it really magic? But that's okay. Um, well, it just makes it it just robs it of that mystery and that excitement for me. Like I have. Right. I can compartmentalize my taste, right? Like I can sit down and play a game of D and D. Uh, in a D&D setting and it, it be high fantasy and whatever, as long as I know that's what I'm in for. But I I really 
I think the storytelling is better. I think the role playing is better. If we trim that stuff down, we make it mysterious. We make it evil. We make it cost your soul and your blood or, or, you know, at the price of a, of demonic possession, like, yeah, that to me is, is far more interesting from a role play and a storytelling point of view. Yeah. And that, uh, but that's, what's interesting though, is that cause games don't do that. Right. I mean, the, the right. rule, it's very hard to throw mechanics into that. Because basically you have to say, I'm going to create a character that ultimately is probably going to lose his, his self somehow. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, yeah. You've no scripted an end. Yeah, you don't want to sign up for the character who's, who's then going to be, you know, controlled by this demon. But, and you know, you say it's hard to throw the mechanics in there, and I agree. But I think what it is, is it's hard to potentially write into a supplement. Like it's that's definitely more more challenging to create such a system. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, you I'm mentioned the two D twenty, and I don't. I I'm not well versed on the rules. Um, in fact, I don't really know if any of us are super well versed on those rules. Um, but I did play a lot of Savage Worlds, um, specifically the beasts and barbarians setting, and for the consequences aspect. Um, if you're familiar with Savage Worlds, your player character only can only take three hits. They're called wounds. To cast a spell, you have to sacrifice a wound. So are you going to make that choice in the middle of a battle to hurt one of your three HP to yeah. cast a spell? And then there's also rules that suggest your uh, the rest of your party take, um, I want to call them sanity rolls. I know it's called something else. Um, but it, they could potentially cause them to go into a shaken state. So not only are you hurting yourself, it, there's a high potential for you to hurt your party. So it's right. one of those like do or die kinds of things, which I I thought fit with the sword and sorcery feel. Yeah, I would agree. I played um, Savage World of Solomon Kane, which is obviously pretty sword and sorcery. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to have the magic cost something like that and even to have your party on edge is uh i don't know that that creates that creates excitement and, and the yeah. idea you are costing some of your life um to do it and and i think that that takes a certain type of player too to, that yeah. wants to do that because not every you're people right. want to have that power i mean let's be let's be honest when you're playing an rpg uh you're kind of like yeah hey, I'm, I'm a god <laughs> you know whether you are or you aren't uh a lot of the time you kind of have that approach because it is fantasy you're playing a role you're just having fun uh and especially when you're playing some sort of magic user that is mm. that is heightened that's really heightened so it really is going to take someone who wants to say okay i'm going to put everybody at risk by doing this actually now that i'm saying it out loud i can think of plenty of players that would like to put the whole party at risk just for, the, <laughs> just for sport so <laughs> as long as i survive yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah but, but that's that's interesting too because i think that's what helps um lend sword and sorcery to more of a one-shot situation yeah because if, if you're not worried about uh, this this long stretching campaign um if you if you're willing to risk your life you make more interesting role play decisions in my mind. Like all of the, the one shot games or the, you know, the sort of off the cuff games have been the most interesting and exciting for that reason, because the risk taking is there and you, you know, at the, at the sake of playing an interesting or dynamic character, you will just go for it. Um, and I think sword and sorcery kind of needs that. On the topic of the one shots, 
if in a typical like ongoing D and D or Pathfinder campaign, you're like amassing wealth, you're amassing gear, whatever. Yeah. That never happens in a Conan story. No, in right. Actually, or one minute he gets a bunch of treasure and he blows it at the end, right. or between yeah. stories. Have you played? Uh, have you played the old? And I love this game. Um, the old Mongoose Conan D twenty game. I haven't. I haven't even seen a book so, outside of online. Well, interestingly, if you actually bought in on the Modifius two D twenty Conan Kickstarter, they gave you if you bought at a certain level, like one, like a PDF pledge. Oh. Level, they gave you all of the PDFs of those older books. So they actually are. Wow. And I think you can still buy them on the website if you if you wish. Interesting. Um, yeah. So they uh, like there's a rule. I think it's called uh, the cost of high living or something like that. And you essentially just start bleeding wealth. Like over time, you have to. Yeah. Just, you don't have a choice. So it actually is a it's a mechanic built in um, that that makes you not be greedy and to live in the moment and to just you know live live high adventure that's cool. yeah i like that um savage worlds other than solomon kane has three other sword and sorcery settings that i know of um yeah. there's lankmar city of thieves yeah there is beasts and barbarians and there's one called totems of the dead which is my personal favorite because it's based in north america that's cool. um being a north american archaeologist like north american history is cool to me but each of those settings says at the end of your adventure, you roll your dice to see what happens with all the stuff you got. And you can become like, you can spend it all on booze and like women or men, depending on your character's preferences. Um, you can become like enamored with a chief, like all these random effects that are supposed to like lead into whatever's next, but you don't really, it's not like amassing anything. You're spending it, which I think is cool. That I'd like to commend you on bringing up Lankmar because I think it's the first time we've really brought up uh, Lieber and um, and you know the whole Lankmar setting. Uh, one of, it's one of my favorites, uh, Mouser and Fafford, depending on how you uh, <laughs> choose to pronounce it, <laughs> Fafford or you know. Uh, there's it's interesting too because uh, they in one of the books uh, they debate the pronunciation of his name. As oh. so, as Lever is wont to do, he loves to throw little uh, jabs at his own characters as much as possible. So, they have awesome. uh, they have something some funny things like that. Um, and I so one of the things I wanted to say is uh, Lankmar as a setting is amazing, um, and I think that that might be one of the first real um, labyrinth type cities that others have built work off of. You know, you hear of like Undermountain and stuff like that, and not that there's not that they're exactly the same thing. But th I think there's roots of Lankmar in a lot of this, uh, in a lot of this stuff. So I think that that's really cool. And I know uh, it would be fun for me to play in the locations like, you know, starting at the Sylvie Eel, Eel ta Tavern uh, and, you know, all the, the shenanigans that happen on the Street of the Gods. Um, that, a lot of cool stuff that, in that setting. I, I love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. See, I've only read the Grey Mouser's origin story. I couldn't get through Fafford's origin story because I thought it was terrible yep um, so, so i know nothing about the setting so i'd be interested I, I need to read more of of lieber but his like i always started with that one the the origin story for fafford and i could never get through it because it was just i thought it was goofy for the sake of goofiness 
And I was like, that's not really what I'm, what I'm in for. But you've told me before that other later stories are, are in the series are, are far better. Yeah, so what I would recommend is if you have um, Swords and Deviltry, right? That's the yeah. kind of the first one. Skip to the last story, Ilmet and Lankmar. Because, sure. okay. uh, because that's like their first uh, adventure together. Gotcha. And then you can go and back read the other ones. Because I agree, like, you know, I don't know how much you need to have that. Um, and then you really get a feel for the dynamic between them, sort of what they're doing. Uh, you'll agree that, that as, that's a very sword and sorcery type story. So I think that'll be more uh, appealing to you. If I remember, too, um, one of their their introduction stories is just it just drones on for a while and i and there's i think there's like a lot of gobbledygook about like the names and that sort of thing if yeah, i'm remembering yeah. and i agree that's hard that's kind of hard to read um that's one of the things uh that i that i read too was uh and i i did read ill met in lankmar and i quite i quite like that but maybe that's just a testament to how much origin stories aren't really that cool yeah, could be. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other topic that I could go on forever about. Stop like, making origin stories. No one cares. That's not a cool starting point. Like every piece of writing advice I've received, uh, somewhere in there, it's like start the story where the story starts. But they don't actually mean the origin in the background. They mean where the interesting bits happen. Right? Yeah. We um, know how Peter Parker got his powers. Yeah. Skip right. It. I mean, that, that's the, the got his powers. Skip it. That's the most egregious stuff right there is, is when they redo it with the comics or again, they'll, you know, they'll do it again with Conan too. I guarantee it. Someday they'll oh, make yeah. another they'll, Conan movie. No, they'll... no, no. I'm saying, I'm, <laughs> do you hear me out there? Don't do it. Do not do this Please podcast. Don't give me the origin story. Just start when he starts. Stop Conan. killing Conan's village. It never <laughs> happened. It never happened. Well, now, if you wanted to start at, um, you know, when uh, the Aquilonians move in at Vanaheim or uh, uh, sorry, Venarium, Vanaheim. yeah, Venarium, um, then you could do that. I'm, I'm cool with that. But, you know, still, yeah. just don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I, I'm sad for you because it's going to happen. Uh, Not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see about that. Don't, want don't jinx it. This will be your fault. It's not that I don't love Conan the Barbarian 1982. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I just don't want to see that happen again, please. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, do you want to move from, like, uh, RPGs just over to... Uh, there's just something I, I've been noticing lately. Like, obviously, Conan, either way you look at it, is he's, he's really the launching pad for Sword and Sorcery. We can have this debate that it's others... Um, and I think the Shadow Kingdom with Cald is probably the real starting point, um, as others have pointed out. But I feel like Conan is in the midst of a bit of a resurgence, and it's all due to games. And yeah. we're not going to dive into other mediums deeply on this episode. But I feel like it started back with um, Age of Conan, the fun game. It had, had a big, it had a big uh, debut. Uh, it kind of fell off after that, but we've played that. We've agreed. Uh, it, it was yeah. a cool game. I spent several hours on it. Enjoyed the um, game. Yep. Um, yeah. Lots of cool atmosphere, cool quests. Um, Funcom loves the lore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good pastichery in there and, and, and use of the lore. Um, and, then, and then after that game, it kind of died out for a while. And then Monolith uh, in 2015, 16, gosh, I don't even know where we're at now. 
Um, they debuted their Conan board game Kickstarter, and for a miniature enthusiast, Conan fan like myself, my head exploded. Like I had to have that, had to have that. And of course, that was a huge success. And then after that, we see a new RPG. And then after that, we see Conan Exiles. And I just, I feel like Sword and Sorcery is alive and well, and, and in particular with Conan, because of gaming and gamers. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. you can go even even deeper, because you're, you're using things that have the title, right? Practically the title in it, it says Conan. But the, the mere archetype of Barbarian yeah. in any game, any fantasy game, I don't care what you throw at me, is Conan. Like yeah, that is it, what they have taken, and they're all very grim and then, and then misrepresented. I say begrudgingly, <laughs> but but for for better or for worse, that is the archetype that has um, that's prevailed, and you owe that yes. to uh, to the I don't know if you want to call it the bastardization of Conan, but you know the the way that he's been formed primarily, I think, in the eighties as as much as anything. Um, well, I, I would just add to that. Um, the the only the, the way that I see that as a negative is just that in so many cases he's been portrayed as like a no brains character and like agreed yes lack, yeah. lacking all combat tact rushing in like a fool and berserking and it's like yeah Conan yeah. has had berserk moments but you know he is by no means in any way a stupid character right which we yeah. have here in our notes barbarian archetypes. Yeah. Um, I know in Pathfinder and D&D, the class skill for Barbarian is Rage. And I don't know where they got the idea that Barbarians are always angry. And I would even go so far as to say Barbarian's not a class. It's a type of culture in, like, the loosest sense. But that's a whole other thing And what is a class in an RPG. Right. This, ape, yeah. so this is definitely a discussion for another day in terms of because yeah. yeah. we, we dug into that very heavily last night when we were chatting about uh, monks being classes oh, or, or you know, a mentality, you know, that sort of thing. You, you really should be able to be whatever you want to be and have a concept of dice mechanics. But now I'm guilty of jumping onto the topic. So you, you baited me on that one. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was purposeful. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you get this concept of this hulking rage, um, rage-fueled um, combatant. And I mean, I think it makes for a cool story a lot of the time, you know, in terms of uh, the, the, the build of the character themselves. Um, but you're right. I mean, in, in reality, and even in um, the, the Lankmar setting, right, the, like Fafard is not a... Uh, rage-oriented barbarian either uh, by any no. means, which is which is just kind of funny yeah he's a light armor two-hand wielding yeah. thief he's a poet as much as anything but that's not, true like yeah, they, they, they always talk about his, his singing way. voice and his poetry <laughs> uh, and then if we're going back to conan as like the foundation howard describes him as a barbarian but we see him in silk breeks we see him in a loincloth we see him in full plate mail uh all these things that when you look at a if you Google a picture of a barbarian, that's not what you're going to see. Right. And I mean, bar barbarian in, in and of itself, like Conan, you know, that that's just Howard's use of, you know, where his theme of barbarian versus civilization, it's not so much. Sure. Conan is like civil, uh, like the civilized people are the more 
um, evil and inexplicable than Conan. Conan is very kind of clear cut, right? Yeah. Bar- the only barbaric aspect, if we're looking at that, I don't know, a traditional sense of like a wild man um, is just the fact that he's like naturally super strong, amazing constitution, um, you know, a man of the elements. Um, but I would also add to like, I don't want to say that Conan doesn't rage out because there's times there are, where there are times red mist comes over and he goes into a fighting frenzy. And actually I want to just do an insert too, whereas we talked about, you know, how Lankmar or sorry, um, Fafrid, uh, would have been that sort of tongue in cheek barbarian or perhaps his, his play on those conventions. Right. Um, Joe Abercrombie put in a character in his first law trilogy called Logan, who (laughs) you want to read a cool raid out like the, like a literary take on what it is to rage in combat, like the bloody nine, you really need, you really need to check out those passages. It's, it's, it's very cool. Um, And I got to think the fact that his name is Logan has got to be a bit of a Wolverine reference. Oh, nice. Yeah. I I can see that. Um, that's just an aside I, I felt needed to come into this. Sure. So one other um, cool setting that I know, um, you know, Logan, you and I have, have kind of looked at is Primeval Thule. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Matt, have you, you haven't had much time with this one, have you? Uh, I have looked at it. Um, I got the PDF quite a while ago. Sure. I read through it. I liked all the art associated with it. I liked the feel um, but I did not, I've never really played it or dug too, too deep. Yeah. So, I mean, I've never played it. Uh, I will say that. I don't know that if I was going to run a SNS type campaign or episode episodes, um, I think I would just do it from my own, you know, sure. I, I don't know. I think I would steal things from Thule. I, I like yeah. a lot of what they did. Um, you know, Logan, you and I have talked about it. I don't like the fact that every class can be played. I think that you need to just kind of yeah. shut some of those down. Um, um, I, I actually, so I've only played, I've DM'd it a couple times. Oh, you have? Um, I, know that. I have. Um, just because the, the, the book has three, like, one-shot adventures because mm-hmm. it encourages you to do one-shot adventures instead of an overarching campaign. Right. Um, and in the class section, it heavily, heavily, heavily discourages you from being um, a paladin, and it, I think it basically outright says monks don't exist, which I adore. Which you <laughs> um, and there's a couple other things in there uh, that, and they also I think encourage a party to not have more than one caster. Uh, so again, that all falls on the people playing and the person running it. It also has elves and dwarves and halflings in it. That was the other thing um, I was going to say. The too. elves are very elric. Um, they're drug-addled, um, addicted to um, a lotus plant that's given to them by Nyarlathep from Lovecraft, Lovecraft mythology. Uh, the halflings are cannibals that live in the jungle. And the dwarves, like, the deeper they dig into the earth, the closer they get to some unnamed being, and they get more and more paranoid and reclusive. And they're all kind of like plays on tropes that we've seen in other fantasy games, but they're sword and sorcery up. I think the main goal of Thule was to show players that loved normal D&D 
what it was like to be in a world that was brutal and dark and savage. Yeah. And, and I think with that in mind, they absolutely nailed it. And I think and the art, you mentioned the art. Um, I think Matt, you mentioned it. Uh, it unbelievable. Yeah. And it's way better. Than yeah. The, the art is gorgeous. It's way better than the 5e um, basic art, you know, from the, the player's handbook and stuff like that. I can't stand the art in that one. Yeah. There's uh, some very evocative um, sword and sorcery esque pictures in there. Like, even if you just flip through it and look, like there are things in there that just inspire me for adventures. Right. It's so, cool, cool design. And what I was going to say is, I think I think you really nailed it. From a showing players a fantasy world that incorporates quote unquote D and D, right? Uh, all the classes, the races, and all that, and showing it in a better, well, not better, but a different setting. <laughs> uh, sorry, that, that was a Freudian slip, slip there. <laughs> um, um, you know, I think they really nailed it. Now, for someone who is probably a little more um, pinpointed on what they like in the genre, I would say, okay, let's strip out the elves, strip out the dwarves, strip out the clerics, strip out you know a lot of this other stuff, and really let's get down to the the meat and but let's get as gritty as we can with it, you know. Well, and that it, and that would be my taste. What it tells me is if if you're putting that kind of focus on art, is that you get sword and sorcery. Right. Now we're definitely going to do an episode on our favorite art and had the important and importance and influence of art and sword and sorcery, but like. Back in the 30s when it was born, you know, you had your Margaret Brundage pictures and, you know, they, they have their place in the history of this. But, I mean, when Frank Frazetta debuted with Conan, it was forever changed. And, and I think there is a marriage between those rich paintings and this literature that is, you know, it's inseparable. It's, it's visual. Like, it inspires you to paint these pictures in your head yeah. which i can't say i necessarily got when i tried to read lord of the rings or robert jordan's no, Wheel no. of time trilogy or series no um, i didn't either and i mean that's the thing the there's it's just such a perfect marriage between you know like robert e howard's prose and frank frazetta's paintings um you know there's there's no i don't think there's another pairing in all of nerddom that is more important to me than those two things right but uh just just for the, for the people who put Thule together to, to know how important that is and to put those things together, that tells me they get it. And I, and I think those, those plays on those tropes are really cool. Um, again, I wouldn't put them in, in a setting I created, but right. part of this is that I just want to get away from any sort of Tolkien-isms in fantasy in my personal sandboxes. Totally. Um, on the RPG front, um, on the tabletop gaming front, uh, I wanted to mention something I forgot about earlier, and I, I'm going to keep bringing up Savage Worlds because I'm most familiar with it. Um, yeah. But as a sword-swinging hero, I don't want to have to spend you know, 15, 20 minutes in a, like a small battle with just some no-name mobs. I think, I think Savage Worlds does it well that all the mooks, um, it's a one-hit. You hit them once, they're dead, and then a named PC or a named character will have three hits just like you. And I think 2D20 does something very similar to that. Yeah. Do you know? Can I tell? Can I ape on that for a second? Yeah. So a lot of what I, I do with 5e is sometimes a little untraditional, I suppose. Sure. So um, it I I take a lot of cues off of description, right? So I I would as a DM describe to you 
a uh, group of thugs, right? We'll just use thugs, for example. And based on how I describe their clothing, their look, you should get the feel, hopefully, uh, that they're mooks, right? And they literally, that group of, we'll say five of them, may represent one thug in terms of statistics in the, in the book. But I would, I would encourage you, and maybe he represents, this is a better way to put it, maybe he represents five hit points, right? That each one has one hit point, but you're basically going to fight five, and I'm going to treat that as one character from a DM point of view, right? So every time sure. you take away a hit point, you, I would say, well, what does it look like? You know, you give your description, and I'll embellish a little bit for you saying that you managed to cut down one, then you spin and cut down another, which is very different from what 5e, 5e is very much like, you roll, you hit. You roll, right. you miss. Yeah, most and, of my experience comes from Pathfinder, and I, I just hate that kind of combat. And, and it's bogged down. It really, it's, it's a yeah. little bogged down, and it's great for when you're having big set piece battles or something like that, or you know, the, the, the big monster busts through, and you're gonna go, and you're gonna go hit by hit on them, and you can then take out the miniatures if you want. But it really is about evoking that gritty feeling, and, and the fact that like you're the hero. You better be able to take out five mooks. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think what you're describing is also very similar to what 2D20 does in yeah. my limited understanding of it. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't like come up with these ideas for 5e. I sure. read a lot of other games and I say, I like that. I like that better than how they do it. This is how I'm going to do it. Just the same way that when I DM, I generally do not provide descriptions of rooms. I will ask my players what they see and make them <laughs> do it oh, interesting. Uh, because I'm lazy, number one. <laughs> and number two, I've found that they have better imaginations than I do most of the time. You know, and so where, you, where this gets in trouble is you do have to lay some, found, uh, some groundwork on this and say, okay, if you're looking for, uh, you know, the magical black pearl uh, and you walk into a room and the player says, oh, I see the magical black pearl. Uh, that's not okay. You're 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 describing the mundane, right? I will yeah. I will give you all the the cool and interesting things, but I'd like to know what you see. But so, that's awesome, for, um, like on the collaborative storytelling angle, yes. right? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm really really big on that. I think that that is, um, th and that's why I have, you know, I, what we were talking about yesterday is my distaste towards the modules, right? Because it's to yeah. me, it's like read and go read and go and i want to know what everyone thinks like you're all part of this it's all it's not my story it's your story which is why I, when i do an adventure i'll write as again as we talked about yesterday um you know that little paragraph that kind of gets you going and then i not that it's a sandbox because i know what i want to do with it but i will i will guide you along but it'll be a lot of what you do along the way as well and what you say, sure. you know, and I think yeah. that's my style. I think that that's kind of how I've learned it over the years. Um, and I think it works really, really well for all types, but I think it, it really helps with sword and sorcery where I think the description outweighs. So when you, as we had said, you know, a, a jungle setting or something like that, there's not necessarily a lot of conversation that's going to happen in a jungle. Right. <laughs> so, so how do you involve the players? Well, you have them describe what they see. You know, what what does the jungle look and feel like to you when you get to this part? Or you see a cave. What does that look like? You know. I mean, I never, I never really considered doing that. Um, I, like, I have, I have certainly involved the players. 
um, wanting them to flesh out their own characters, what they do, what they say, blah, blah, blah. Um, and even like, you know, if they, if I, if they know they're finishing a guy off or they do like a critical hit, I want them to describe what they do. You know what I mean? Or, or how this, how that head pops off in the blood fountains. Um, but that's, uh, that's, yeah. that's quite, I like that. Cause I, I don't actually see that as, as any kind of detriment to the storytelling or, or derailing anything, obviously no. a bunch of wise asses at the table. You know, I think I think that would that would work. You know where it's beautiful though, and and it really really works well is when you give me a setting, in a room, right? The room itself, you describe it, and there's a feature that I didn't think of. How cool is that? Like now, all of a sudden, there's a dais where there wasn't one in my mind, right? And now we have to work with that, and then you're giving me ideas to figure out, right? And and what's on that dais? Well. Now I have something to think of. Okay, so there's a there's a dagger on there, you know, or whatever. You know what I mean? And yeah. and if I sit there at a word processor, because I'm apparently 60 years old and say things like word processor, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, then I'm only going to think of what I've what I've got, and you're going to see a pretty static description, or I'm going to wind up scouring the internet trying to find something that's cool, or spending hours on it, you know, uh, or mm. or finding a picture to show and say, well, it looks like this. But I'd rather, sure. you know, and and it is a risk because there's some people who are not ready for it and, and cannot right. cannot handle the power. <laughs> and I think so much, and I can't say that I've ever been in a game where this 100% works, but it's got to be like a mutual buy-in for both the DM and the players. They all have to be on board with what's going on or like at least on the same page so they know what's expected, I right. guess. Right, Yep, and uh, you know, that's where the, the Monty Python factor can right. can come in and and I'm all for a Monty Python game as well when when one is needed. Uh I would love to have a serious one too. Um but I think that you know the as as uh, as was said earlier, it's very easy to be funny. Right. Yeah. It's less easy to reflect your character or be in the moment and I'm not I'm not going to say I'm perfect at it, but it 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 is harder. Yes, for it's, sure. It uh, reminds me, do you guys watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I have not. I've seen a few um, episodes. I, didn't, I don't watch it religiously. It reminds me of uh, the character Mac. He says, uh, dude, I'm not going for laughs. I'm going for gasps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it gasps at an at a RPG table, man. You're, you're rocking it. That's great. That's good. I'm going to try to remember that and go for gasps. I find yeah. that there's very little you can do to surprise people these days. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about kind of putting the power in the players is, at least with the most of the players that I've experienced, they do it to them. Like, they will psych themselves out about something, or they will shout out their own theories. Oh, yes. And yeah. I'm yeah. like, well, that was way better than what I was going to do. I'm just going to run with that. Thanks. <laughs> this is completely unsword and sorcery related, but I was running a spycraft campaign, which is kind of like 007 kind of stuff. And I sure. had designed this one little thing where there was supposed to be just this tiny little blip where one of the players' nemesis, nemesi, whatever, um, was introduced, and they planned the ever-loving crap out of it. It took them like 45 minutes to an hour to do this thing that I thought was like, oh, five minutes. And that was, that was fun for me to see like how seriously they took it and how careful they were, yep. but it was completely not what I was thinking. Yep. In my, um, 
uh, a game that I play with with uh, some friends. They are notorious for so we'll do like a one session sort of thing. That first encounter, whatever it is, I don't care if it's combat. Uh, I give them a pie-eating contest. It does not matter what it is. They will overthink it to the tune of it taking at least a quarter of the session. And then I'm scrambling <laughs> to figure out everything else. And it, I, it doesn't matter what I have picked. It will always take the big bulk of the session. And then I have to cut things out and kind of rearrange it. Uh, they, they will just do it to themselves. They will say, everything's a trap. They don't care. Like, I'm like, guys, this is the first <laughs> session. These are the orcs that you have to kill to get to the, the actual adventure. Kill them and be done with <laughs> it, please. <laughs> uh, so are there any other thoughts on uh, the gaming aspect? Um, we, really, we, we focused really heavy on the RPG stuff, and maybe that's uh, for the best, and we can come back to uh, a deeper dive on the, table, the tabletop itself uh, at yes. a later date. But any, any other thoughts you guys wanted to throw out there while we were, while we were here? Uh, I've got a couple of just cool mechanics that uh, are jumping out at me that I, I don't think we really mentioned, both from recent Conan RPGs, because, you know, that's my focus, I guess. With the Mongoose game, um, it was it was a D20-based game, and actually I think the best use of, of the D20 system. I thought 3.5 was good for what it was, creating huge, crazy superheroes, but, I mean, it, it could get it a hand pretty quick. Um, but Conan managed to, like, really strip that back a bit, uh, and they had, like, a cool minimum damage rule, right? So no matter what, if you hit someone's take like you had like an uh, an armor reduction piece so any armor would essentially just strip off damage that you'd receive uh it sounds like a big elaborate extra step for an already crunchy system but i actually found it worked really quite well hmm. so no matter what if you're getting hit you're taking a damage so if you got 20 guys around you they're all getting a plus one for each additional opponent it stops you from being able to just knock down 20 people in a superhero frenzy. Um, so the minimum damage rule there, and the one we already mentioned about uh, losing all your wealth, I thought that was awesome. And then the Modiphius 2D20 game, I really do love the the stacking of fortune uh, and doom. So you've got these you've got these two different pools building up, and I like that. You know, if the players want to be afforded certain things to be able to like, you know, make an extra defense or to gain some kind of information if they've hit a wall, you know, the, the GM then starts stacking up these doom points. So you're buying in for that. So you can watch the villain or, or the, the GM or whatever, however you want to identify this person as gaining this extra power. So you have to kind of like, you know, tighten up and, and, and worry about what's to come. Uh, I think that's one of the coolest parts of that game. I think tool, I think, I think too, that, it's, again, something that's going to require certain players, right? If you've got super cautious players who just aren't getting this concept of heroic fantasy, then they're just going to be wimps about it, you know? So, I mean, that brings us back to our, our uh, living on islands and in our love of sword and sorcery, and then we get all these other folks who just want to come in and play it how they always have. Anywho, that, that, those would be a couple things that, that I'd like to point out. Uh, I want to say a couple things. Uh the 2D20 system, what I think I really liked about it was it looked to me like magic was an investment that anyone could make. There wasn't really a class per se. There's a set of skills you had, and if your character wanted to study sorcery or whatever, they could, and there were consequences to that. And I think that's a good 
good way to present sword and sorcery magic. Uh, I also wanted to just drop the names of a couple, I think, probably obscure sword and sorcery things. We talked about Thule. We talked about Savage Worlds. Um, there is one RPG called Zenobia, and you can find it at paulelliotbooks.com slash free-rpgs. That's right, free. Um, it is a sword and sorcery take on the late Roman Empire in the Middle East. And using that setting, I think he does a good job of presenting it in a sword and sorcery way. It runs on its own system. The entire thing is free. There is a uh, Roman England setting that you could buy if you were into that kind of thing. There's also the world of Zoth at zoth.net. Uh, mm. It's a Pathfinder conversion. I actually found it by looking up stuff about the Hyborian Age because he's got a whole wiki yeah. on that. Um, but he was not afraid to just outright axe entire scores of spells. And just like, nope, can't do it. Nope, can't do it. Um, and that's another way you could adjust magic in, in a setting like Path or in a, in a system like Pathfinder. So mm. check those out if you're into obscure. Um, probably less well-known settings. There's there's one more I want to mention, too. I've never actually played this, but I, I downloaded it and read it, and it's called On Mighty Thews. So, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's it's like 50 pages for the whole thing. Very simple rules, very much uh, role-play driven, um, and, and essentially you, you, you can play out entire sweeping story arcs in an evening. Um, and it's something, you know, again, if I had players who were totally psyched on sword and sorcery, I would have run it already. Um, but it's definitely worth, uh, look to and having a read. I think you can get it for like five bucks or something on drive through. Oh, uh, cool. yeah, that's, oh, that's yeah. five bucks PDF format right there. Yeah. That's worth a look, worth a look. And what a title on mighty. Thews. Yeah. On mighty Thews, <sighs> which also brings me to what is it? Astounding swordsmen and sorcerers of Hyperborea, yeah. which yeah. is a dungeon and dragons. Uh, system so it's still crunchy so if you like the crunch it's there but it also presents a sword and sorcery setting in a, in a system that people are familiar with awesome so um, why don't we uh, start to wrap things up a little bit um, as always if you have anything that you want to add to the discussions that we're having uh, please feel free to leave a comment uh, send us an email uh, we'd love to hear you, and we definitely would. We'll, we'll try to talk about it next episode. Uh, that email, of course, is roguesinthehousecast at gmail.com. I also wanted to give out a quick shout out to uh, my friend Jonathan at Wargaming Recon. Uh, after we recorded the first episode, we realized that we had no idea how to post uh, <laughs> or get a um, get a podcast up and running. So uh, he was invaluable to me to try to help me understand some of the things that we needed to do. Uh, so I just wanted to give a, a shout out and a thank you for that. Uh, do you guys have any other comments you guys want to make? Yeah, on yeah, the I, shout out note, we wanted to thank Keith for his contribution to the Titanoboa yeah. article that will be coming out shortly. Uh, go check out his website, Starships and Steel, for heaps of RPG resources. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Keith is a, he's a big champion of all things Conan and RPG. He's a big contributor to the 
Conan Gaming Group, which if you're not a part of Conan Gaming Group, I mean, get on there. We're all... It, it's it's the it's the stomping place of the internet for all of us uh, sword and sorcery nerds. I tell you, um, I, and I also, we share rogues in the house stuff there all the time. So then it's an easy way to find us. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I mean, really, it, this was born out of that and out of our Conan Exiles um, sessions, which we'll talk about later. Um, I just want to make a couple of very quick corrections. I don't think um, that'll take too much time. Just from the first episode. Uh, we misspoke on a couple of things. One, I had mentioned I was talking to Howard Andrew Jones uh, of the Desert of Souls fame, a great author. I said I was speaking to him at a HalCon. That's like a, you know, a little small convention to my hometown of Halifax. It was not HalCon. It was Gen Con that Howard and I uh, were talking. Uh, I would also like to definitely plug the, co the Chromecast again and mention from last time um, Logan was confused. Uh, yeah, that was my as, fault. Yes, he is. He's a confused individual. I'm just kidding. All the time. <laughs> uh, mentioned that they were, um, I don't even remember what he said, season they were on, but the fact is they're, they're, go they're looking at um, more of the Elborak stories of Robert E. Howard, the Desert Tales. And if you go to their site, uh, which is thecromcast.blogspot.com, uh, you can get their reading list, which they lay out for their season. So, if you listen to the Chromecast, which you damn well should, um, they've got their whole reading list up so you can read ahead of time, and then you will be able to uh, know what stories they're going to cover. Uh, and I think, oh no, there's one other thing. We were struggling uh, to think of who was the composer for the Willow soundtrack, oh, right. which Alex really wants to hum right now, but he's not going to. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, composer is James Horner, who did that one. Um, so James Horner, big shout out to Willow, uh, a theme that will forever play in my mind. Nice. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. So we did forget one last thing. Uh, I want to just say thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the first episode because it far exceeded the expectations that the three of us had uh, oh, in yeah. terms of feedback and listenership. It was incredible. And we really, really appreciate everyone who, who tuned in. Yeah, we were at 163 listens on Anchor this morning, which yeah. is, it blew, blew me away. I'm very thankful for those of you tuning in. Hope you continue to do so. Um, really glad you could join us. And also your, your feedback. Um, specific comments are always excellent. Um, we, we like to hear from you. Uh, anything you'd like to add or even topics you want to hear us cover on the show. We, we definitely have a lot in mind that we want to cover. Um, but if you have certain things you think would make for an engaging show, please, uh, please do let us know. So again, that email is roguesinthehousecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook too. And the podcast is officially on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, uh, or are we Spotify. not on Spotify? Thank you. Not SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, once again, I'm Alex. We got Matt and Logan here. Thanks for tuning in. And may your swords always remain sharp.